now with the latest from the world of technology. This is the Tech Guide Podcast with Stephen Fennick. Thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading once again. Tech Guide. Well, without a doubt, the biggest tech story of the week. Tech Guide. It's a very competitive market, the smartphone market. Keeping you updated and educated. This is a device that combines a tablet, a laptop, and a sketch pad. This is the Tech Guide Podcast. This is the future. Wireless earphones. Tech Guide. What you see is what you get. Quality is obvious. Now, from the studios of techguide.com.au, Stephen Fennick. Tech Guide, episode 255. You are listening to the podcast that keeps you updated and educated about the latest consumer tech news and reviews. Thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading once again. And you first-time listeners, we're glad you found us and we hope you enjoy the show. My name is Stephen Fennick and I'm the editor of techguide.com.au. On this week's show, has Snapchat gone too far with its latest feature? It's 10 years since the iPhone first went on sale, and we test out the new Nikon D7500 DSLR on the sideline of the state of origin. In the Tech God interview, we're going to chat to HMD CEO Arto Numella about the rebirth of the Nokia brand. And in the Tech Guide reviews, we're going to run our eye over the Senna X1 Bluetooth Smart Bicycle Helmet, the Breville Oracle Touch Coffee Machine, and the IM Plus Buttons Earphones. And we're going to wrap things up with the Tech Guide Help Desk. And it's all brought to you by Netgear, Australia's number one brand of home Wi-Fi products, and also Norton, the company to help keep you and your family safe online. A huge show for you, so let's jump straight in. Well, I'm sure you've all heard of the Snapchat app, very popular app, especially among the millennials, the younger users. They love the video and photo sharing app that they can uh, share snaps, which is, could be a photo, could be a video, and it disappears after a day. Their stories are gone. So that's why, hence its name, Snapchat. You, you, you chat and then it's gone. And uh, it's really, really popular. The younger users who have probably veered away from Facebook Snapchat seems to be the go-to app. Sort of between Snapchat and Instagram, I think the younger users uh, tend to be uh, using those apps quite quite avidly. So it was with interest that we saw that there was an update available for Snapchat. And one of those features, though, part of the update was a feature called the Snap Map. And as its name suggests, there is a bit of a location feature to the to Snap Map. And basically what it means is that it can locate you and all your friends on a map. So wherever you happen to be snapping away, someone can see your exact location where you shared that content. And that look, this this isn't the first time that there's been location software, location features on a social media app, but with the popularity of Snapchat and the number of snaps and friends that people have, it was a little alarming for even the most avid users. Now, I, I might, some of my, my children and, and some of their friends, they all said the same thing about this new feature that allows them to be located at all times. They found it a little bit creepy, a little bit stalker. So uh, even those fans, the, the diehard users of Snapchat are thinking, well, this is a little bit creepy, this feature. And we're going to turn it off. And the good news is you can turn it off. The thing you need to know, though, is if you run that update, that the Snap Map feature is on by default. So don't don't uh, th- once you've run your update, you are going to be located. So you need to 
get into the settings and to do that once you open snap the snapchat app the first thing you see is the camera so your camera is active and pointing at whatever it happens to be pointing at if you pinch on that screen it'll take you to a setting screen that will then allow you to turn off the location and that that's called going into ghost mode i think you, you'll notice that in the snapchat app uh, icon the little the little character that's in the app is a little ghost so the ghost mode means that no one can see you but yourself on the on the map so that that is something that it surprised me the reaction to this there was there was a a lot of the users who reacted strongly to this were its most popular users that's a really unusual situation it, it did it, it was something that I wrote about on Tech Guide and warned parents about it too because a lot, a lot of our readers on Tech Guide uh, are parents they've got their own children and I thought it was timely that they received a warning to say that look just to, just to a heads up here that if your son or daughter happens to be using Snapchat, there's this new feature that they may not know is on by default, and that's the Snap Map uh, feature there. And we, we've given those instructions for to, to be able to disable that function. Now, as I said, this isn't the first time an app's tried to locate their, their users. There are plenty of others, including Apple. Apple have the Find My Friends app, which uh, allows you to locate people. But the thing with that is that everyone that's in that, that needs that you want to locate, they have to give you their permission to be located. So anyone who's, if you're a group of friends, maybe at a concert, you might all decide to turn that on on your phone so you can all see each other where you happen to be. But you all have to opt in. It's not something that I can spy on you without you knowing. So that you do need permission for that. Facebook also have similar thing with their live location feature too, but that can be activated when you're using Facebook Live and then deactivated straight away so that uh, you can't be tracked as well. That Snap Map uh, feature is there with the new update, and if you want to see all those instructions on how to turn it off, you can find that at techguide.com.au. Tech Guide. Keeping you updated and educated. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Finnick. Well, it is 10 years this week since the first iPhone went on sale. And 2007 seems like only yesterday, doesn't it? 10 years ago, we've had the iPhone. A decade, the iPhone has been with us. And you got to remember, the iPhone was a massive, massive change in technology. It was one of the biggest products ever introduced in consumer tech. It was introduced for the first time in January 2007 by Steve Jobs at the Macworld Expo. And uh, he unveiled it for the first time. And I can remember the Macworld Expo that year was on at the same time as the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas. And uh, Steve Jobs, uh, his keynote and the introduction of the iPhone happened to coincide with press day at the Consumer Electronics Show. And that's the day when all the companies have their press conferences, one after the other. And even though it was Apple weren't even at the Consumer Electronics Show, it was the talk of the Consumer Electronics Show. So press day, everyone was not really talking about what was being unveiled on press day, but all talking about this new amazing iPhone that had just been introduced. The biggest thing, feature about it was this amazing multi-touch screen. The first time anyone had seen multi-touch, where pinch to zoom on photos uh, and, and, and enlarge. You can also, the, the scrolling through contacts, your music, turning it on its side, it's your iPod and watching content on the move being able to look at websites as they appear on your computer in the same way on this device. 
it was an amazing device that literally turned the mobile phone market on its head. And we haven't looked back. There's, Apple has gone from strength to strength and have, have to date now sold more than a billion iPhones worldwide. And then, of course, there is the introduction of all the rival brands and the rival operating system like Android and companies like Samsung and Sony and LG and Huawei and HTC, all these companies now making smartphones which take a leaf out of out of the original iPhone that sort of turned the shape of the phone, the design of the phone, and the features of the phone in a completely new direction. So it's 10 years. It, it went on sale in the U.S. on June the 29th, 2007, which is this week. And uh, so that's the 10th anniversary. And it was only available, though, the first model of the iPhone, uh, in in 2007 was only available in the US and then later that year in the UK it was uh, had a 2 megapixel camera had a sealed battery no front camera and we only worked on the 2G network so 10 years we've made a lot of progress the capacities had only had 4 gig and 8 gig to begin with and then later on they released a 16 gig version as well and as i said only available in the US and in the UK but there were plenty of Australians who actually bought one home from the US and unlocked the phone to work on the Australian networks, including myself. I did the exact thing and uh, had brought one home and, and got it to work on the Optus network that I was a, a part of at the time. Moving along, the iPhone then spawned the App Store. And you remember the App Store started a year later, in 2008, in time for the release of the next iPhone, which they didn't call the iPhone 2, they called it the iPhone 3G. Actually, no, they called it the 3G uh, in 2008, 3GS in 2009. So that was the first 3G iPhone. Uh, still had the 2 megapixel camera. Then 2009, we moved up to the 3GS. But our first phone that we had in Australia was the 2008, in 2008 with the 3G. And that also coincided, as I said, with the App Store. And we know what the App Store's done. Billions of downloads, millions of apps, more than $70 billion paid to developers as well. And moving through the years, it picked up different features and different designs, got a larger screen. Uh, Siri was introduced in 2011 with the iPhone uh, 4S. It got its first uh, touch ID, so fingerprint reader with the iPhone 5S in 2013. And then we moved to the bigger devices, the 4.7 and 5.5-inch iPhone 6 in 2014. 2016 was the launch of the iPhone 7 and the iPhone 7 Plus. And in 2017, we were anticipating the iPhone 8, whether they're going to do an anniversary edition. I don't think they will. Apple tend to, they look forward rather than back. They they very rarely celebrate anniversaries and and do things like that. They're always looking forward and, and promoting the products that are available today rather than what was available years ago. But the iPhone certainly is a, is a tremendous story in how it's changed the way we interact with our devices. It's created an app industry, like billion-dollar companies like Instagram and, and Snapchat, we, talk, we talked about a moment ago. They wouldn't exist without the iPhone. It, it is the, the, the foundation of this amazing industry that, that's, uh, that's just changed our lives. We're talking Uber, Snapchat, Instagram, all those apps we take for granted wouldn't have been possible if it wasn't for the birth of the iPhone 10 years ago.
If you want to check that story out and look at our little our story about the evolution of the iPhone, including pictures of every iPhone since that original in 2007, you can see that at techguide.com.au. Well, everyone knows that I'm a, a massive footy fan, and uh, last week I got an amazing opportunity by our friends at Nikon. They had their new D7500 DSLR, and they gave me the opportunity to test the new D7500 at the state of origin. And it was the, the chance for me to sit on the sideline with uh, some of the world's best sports photographers and snap away with this great new device uh, at the at game two of the state of origin. Unfortunately, New South Wales lost the game, forced the series into a decider. But I have to say it was an absolutely unforgettable night. I was sitting behind the goalposts uh, at the southern end of ANZ Stadium behind an LED signage. Uh, I was on a seat. I wasn't able to stand up during the game, but sitting down made me able to look over the barrier and rest the camera. I had a monopod, so I did have the, the Nikon D7500 along with the, the AFS Nikkor 70 to 200mm uh, lens as well. That had a, a, a spot where I could put the monopod on and rest it on the ground rather than having to hold the weight of the camera around my neck or in my hand. So that, that made things a lot easier as well. The D7500 has uh, it's only just been available for a week so it's only been in stores a week it's got a 20.9 megapixel CMOS sensor 3.2 inch tilt and touch LCD screen so the 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 screen uh, it gives you uh, it, it there's familiarity to it because it does act a little bit like your phone screen so you can scroll through your photos just swiping through you can access the menu on the touch screen as well and so it's all rather than having to look at all the buttons down the side which you can you're able to interact with the with the camera using just the touchscreen. Got an ISO range of 100 to 51,200 and can shoot 8 frames per second, continuous shooting, 51 autofocus points and it's also got a group autofocus mode as well and the D7500 from Nikon can also record 4K video. So it's a it's a nice nice to feel, really good uh, good design to the camera. The the grip on the right hand side, all the buttons and all the dials are all at your fingertips, literally at your fingertips, and it's really fast as well. And being able shooting something like State of Origin, which is fast paced action, uh, I, I was able to use the manual mode and adjust the ISO, uh, the aperture, and the shutter speed, and uh, and capture some pretty impressive shots. I think you can check them out at Tech Guide. You can judge for yourself how well I went. But uh, it was a remarkable experience being, first of all, that close to the action. I was actually on the field just behind the goalpost. It was remarkable being able to watch the game like that. I, I did watch it through the viewfinder of the camera, but still had an amazing time doing it. Now, my, my background before I started technology, I was actually the sports editor of the Daily Telegraph. So I'm familiar with, uh, with sports photography. Not that I've taken any myself, but I've worked with some of the best sports photographers in the world. And I luckily, it, coincidentally, I did bump into a lot of those same photographers who I did work with back at the Telegraph uh, at the game, and they were they were uh, only too happy to lend me some advice on the sort of settings I needed uh, to do so I could take some some great photos, uh, settings that would suit the lighting of ANZ Stadium. The lighting was pretty even and, and bright as well, so uh, it did help me. Uh, find the right settings. I also had uh, had the pleasure of meeting up with Brendan Esposito, a former colleague of mine as well, who's 
now uh, the NRL photographer after a remarkable career as a, as a news and crime photographer. Uh, he worked with Fairfax News Limited AP. Uh, he was able to, I was actually sitting beside him on the sideline and he was a tremendous help with giving me some tips on how to cap- capture the action as best I could. Uh, the, the game, as I said, result didn't go our way. But it was a lot of fun being able to capture the uh, some some great photos, and it is harder than you think. You know, I think being a sports photographer is a unique skill, and a skill that I've always respected. But it, I've got all new respect for that particular type of photography because it's all about timing and it's all about anticipation. And your subject doesn't stand still; your subject's running quite quickly, and it's all about you trying to anticipate where the ball's going to go, where the action's going to move, and uh, for the photographers who have to run up and down the sideline, it's a tough job having to lug all those heavy cameras, heavy lenses up and down the field and then be expected to capture a sharp, brilliant action photograph at the same time. So uh, if you do want to check out my stories, I have published my report and about 15, 20 pictures that I shot uh, at the game last week. You're more than welcome to check it out as well as check out the D7500 DSLR. You can check all that out at techguide.com.au. Tech Guide. Now, a Tech Guide interview. Tech Guide. Our Tech Guide interview this week is with the HMD CEO, Arto Numella. And HMD is the company that's now in charge of Nokia. Nokia is a Finnish company, as is HMD Global. Uh, they are the new the new owners of the Nokia brand and being a Finnish company, really faithful to the heritage of the Nokia brand as well. They're just releasing their new Android devices, the Nokia 3, the Nokia 5, and the Nokia 6 in Australia. And it's kind of a a rebirth of the brand. Nokia, when the iPhone came out, we spoke about the iPhone earlier in the show, when the iPhone came out 10 years ago, Nokia was the absolute king of of the smart of the phone market the mobile phone market and and i think the the second third fourth brands combined still weren't as big as nokia and what happened after the iphone launch nokia still continued pretty strongly for a couple of years but then the iphone took a bit of a foothold and then android came along android was this new operating system that all these other brands adopted we saw we saw samsung we saw sony we saw htc all these brands jumped on board with android but nokia stuck with their symbian operating system and kind of uh, they were always known as a great manufacturer but didn't quite meet the didn't quite meet the speed of growth of those other brands they they slowly slid down the table and eventually move were acquired by Microsoft Microsoft saw the about 6 6 years ago Microsoft took over Nokia and tried to revive the brand by creating them as their Windows phone devices which really had very limited success. Windows Phone was a very, very small market share when compared to Android and iOS, but uh, and it, it continued to struggle. Since uh, leaving Microsoft's ownership, Nokia is now under the HMD Global uh, umbrella, and it is this company that has injected amazing new life into the brand and finally introduced Nokia to Android. We're going to see Android aboard the Nokia devices. The Nokia 3, the Nokia 5, the Nokia 6 all look 
premium design as Nokia is renowned for and it's it's going to be really interesting to see how these fare in the Australian market they're offering some tremendous features and tremendous value and we got a chance to sit down with the HMD Global CEO Arto Numella about the Nokia chances moving forward and how they're going to fare in the competitive mobile phone industry and here's what he had to say when we caught up to him earlier. Hi Arto, welcome to the Tech Guy podcast. Now you're here in Australia to launch the new range of Nokia smartphones running Android. Yes. Tell us a little bit about them. Yeah, we, we had a very unique take on Android and in the such a way that it reflects the brand promise of Nokia. Because Nokia is known for reliability, ease of use, simplicity, quality, and this kind of human touch. Mm-hmm. And it's quite a unique brand in that way. And when we are taking on Nokia to Android, the phone has to perform better than any other phone because it's a Nokia phone. Absolutely. So we are focusing on these kind of things that are everyday important for our, our consumers. Yeah. And it's these functionalities of, of uh, sunlight readability, it's a, uh, it's a battery performance, it's the things that we all value in the phones. I can see them right in front of us here. The, there's obviously as well, Nokia's always been renowned for having great manufacturing and great design, and that's mm. been carried forward, I can see. Yes, definitely. It's not only the quality and, and reliability that you can you can drop your phone and you can trust that it still works fine, but it's the beauty and the simplicity of design. It's our material selection. We are we are willing to invest on the premium material mm-hmm. or the price point that you have never seen. Yeah. So Nokia three, five, and six are all made of solid block of. 6,000 series aluminium. I can see a big block of aluminium right here in front of us. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. That, that was the carved out of that block, was it? Yes, yes <laughs> it is. It's built out of that and of course it, it's not easy manufacturing process but it provides such an amazing quality mm-hmm. and uh, it, it's completely yeah. different feel in your hand that if you have a painted plastic or you have a solid block of aluminium. Sure. Now, Nokia's been on quite the journey over the last few years, to say the least. They've mm-hmm. gone through, I think, Microsoft had, had a partnership there. and it, It's 10 years since the iPhone went on sale this week. Mm-hmm. And at that time, Nokia was ahead of the market. I think the number one and two, three, and four combined wasn't anywhere near Nokia. Mm-hmm. How, how, have, how can we see Nokia moving forward now? Can we reach those heights again? I, I think when we are doing through implementation for the brand in terms of the phones, the quality, the expectations that consumers has, mm-hmm. and, and following the consumers, whatever we do, I think we cannot go wrong. And with Android operating system, it's currently 86% globally mm-hmm. on the yeah. market share of Android and uh, very much loved and preferred yeah. uh, amongst the consumers. And we are taking now the approach with Google that it will be the best of Android. We are providing the purest form of Android as Google intended that to be, but then also security updates and feature updates mm-hmm. that uh, consumers hasn't been really experiencing yeah. in these price points. Let's talk about Android. The, these, this is the first time we've seen Android on a Nokia device. Yes. Why did it take so long? Why didn't Nokia adopt Android? I'm sure you've been asked this question <laughs> a million times. Why didn't Nokia adopt Android 10 years ago? I think it's a perfect time to, to launch Android. The reason what, what, 
uh, what Google has done now, evolving in, in the Android experience, when they developed the Pixel, that prevented uh, us to have a need to create a skin or anything to enhance the experience because they have done now the best possible Android experience. Mm -hmm. This was the time to join and provide the Nokia with mm -hmm. Android. And I understand that you've taken a lot of time to listen to customer feedback yes. and the models there, there's the three, the five, the six, so something for everyone we can say. Mm -hmm. who, who are your target customers for these? For target customers are young millennials, mm -hmm. the target consumers. They are, of course, uh, quite a unique uh, group of people, they, they love to share, they love to consume, they, they are all the time with their phones, mm -hmm. and, and that will also tailor how we are going to contact them when mm -hmm. we are doing our marketing and media uh, uh, coverage. But these, these consumers are expecting the same uh, things that has been always Nokia known for. Mm -hmm. They value even more this reliability, simplicity, ease of use. Mm -hmm. Than, and the quality than, than the previous generation. I, I think we have found a good match. Mm -hmm. And millennials, uh, would they remember Nokia being back? Maybe their parents could, would, could have told them about Nokia. So the Nokia brand is still pretty strong, isn't it? Yeah, it's surprisingly strong. And we, we have been now conducting the studies together with our partners and by ourselves all around the world. Mm -hmm. Actually, the millennials are the ones who are expecting the most Nokia and Android. And when we have started the sales in a few markets already, we started Nokia 6 in China, 76% of the buyers were young millennials, never owned Nokia before. Mm -hmm. And they absolutely love it. I, there, there must be something in the Nokia that it just goes through the breast milk of mothers and they are <laughs> the toddlers are already in love. That would be a good feeling. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> now I, I can remember at a time when, when cameras first came to smart to phones, Nokia was obviously a leader. Nokia was at one point, and correct me if I'm wrong, Nokia was at one point the biggest camera manufacturer in the world. That's true. That's yeah. that's true. And uh, of course Nokia was driving the whole industry going towards the the mobile cameras and digital cameras. Yeah. So and uh, absolutely important factor. People are expecting that uh, you, you can trust the good imaging when you buy a Nokia device, and sure. we will follow that. And just on the Android aspect, it, it, it's going to be the latest version of Android with a lot of updates, I understand. So yes. security is very important on these devices. Absolutely. The, we, we are launching all these devices with latest Android, and we will always make sure that consumer get access to wherever Google releases new updates on Android, we are going to provide those to the consumers. And in such a way that when you buy your Nokia device, two years since purchase, you are still able to get an updates, including also operating system updates. Mm -hmm. how, how do Australians, uh, I know Australians are very big uh, tech savvy customers, mm -hmm. and I understand that Australians and the Nokia brand had a very strong relationship over the years. Is that still there today, and is it still going to continue? Mm -hmm. Yes, it, it is. Uh, we are getting mind-blowing amount of contacts from Australian consumers really? to our uh, our social websites and others. Australians absolutely love Nokia. There is such a fond memories uh, about the brand and we can't wait to provide these devices to the market. No worries. Well, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Absolutely. Tech Guide. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Finnick. 
The Tech Guide podcast is proudly sponsored by Netgear, Australia's number one Wi-Fi brand. You already know Arlo by Netgear, the worldwide leader in smart home security and creator of the world's first 100% wire-free, weatherproof HD security camera. Well, now you can get to know the new Arlo Pro with even more features including two-way audio that allows you to talk to your kids, your pets or whoever's at the front door right from your smartphone. Arlo Pro has quick rechargeable batteries, night vision and live on-demand streaming. And yes, it's still 100% wire-free and weatherproof. So you can easily monitor your entire property inside and out. Arlo Pro takes just a few minutes to set up so you can check in on your home or your business from anywhere using the free Arlo app on your phone, tablet or computer. Know what's happening in real time with advanced motion detection and never miss a moment with free cloud recordings for seven days. Visit arlo.com forward slash au for more info. Arlo and the new Arlo Pro by Netgear, every angle covered. Tech Guide. Now, a Tech Guide review with Stephen Fennick. Tech Guide. Kicking off our reviews this week is a product by the by a company called Senna. That's S-E-N-A. And they are the very, already very popular manufacturers of motorcycle helmet accessories, Bluetooth accessories, uh, and communicators. And they've just released the X1, which is their brand new Bluetooth, the world's first Bluetooth smart cycling helmet. So this is a helmet designed for cyclists, not motorcyclists. And it has Bluetooth built in. So it has speakers so you can hear and a microphone so you can speak. So what this allows you to do is to seamlessly connect your smartphone to your helmet. So now you can hear your phone. You can make and receive calls. You can hear the radio. You can hear your GPS instructions. You can even hear uh, fitness apps uh, talking back as well. And it'll, it, it, all this without you having to touch your phone. It's all hands-free all through the helmet. And the microphone, which is located uh, in the front edge of the, of the helmet, allows you to talk very clearly. It's got a directional mic that allows you to speak really clearly. So if you're making a call, uh, you, you, you can be heard really clearly. There's some great noise reduction in the microphone so that uh, the, the sensitivity of the mic, you, you can't hear the wind or even, even, traveling, even traveling at high speed, that advanced noise control technology really dramatically reduces the wind and ambient noise so you can be heard uh, loud and clear while you're riding. But the Bluetooth technology also serves another purpose. If you are riding with other Senna X1 users or, or compatible Bluetooth communicators, you can, within a 900-meter range, be able to talk to up to three other people. So if you're riding as a family or you're riding with friends, you are able to communicate using the Senna X1 as a, an intercom system. So that, that, that adds that added, uh, the added feature of being able to stay in touch with, your, with the riders in your pack. So if someone falls behind or goes ahead, you can all talk to each other, maybe warn, warn uh, the people behind you about some, some, some danger up ahead. Uh, but it is a, a really great system for, for you to talk to each other using the Senna X1 Bluetooth helmet. Now, it's $269 from mrmobile.net.au. The link is in our story on Tech Guide. It's available in the next week or so, but they are taking pre-orders. 269 and I think... I'm not a cyclist, but I do know that a really good bike helmet can cost a couple hundred dollars. Uh, if you do want to buy a cheapie, then that's what you get. But there are some pretty pretty decent helmets out there. 
this the, the the helmet of course has all the technology built in but also have the has the safety aspects as well it's got all, it's got all the uh, lining and ventilation and and the structure uh, to create a safe a safe helmet that can protect you in the event of an accident later this year Senna's also going to release the X1 Pro now with the the it has all the features of the Senna X1 but the with the addition of a front-facing camera. So there's actually a camera built in to the front of the helmet. This is going to be priced at $399, and that front camera can obviously film whatever's in front of you. So if you're riding a beautiful, beautiful path through some beautiful scenery, it can record everything you see, and you can then show that to your friends. The front camera, though, also acts a little bit like a dash cam. So if there is an on-road incident, you can have a record that recording to uh, determine liability. So you're, if it's your word against someone else, you've got film evidence of whatever happened on the road. The Senna X1 Pro, built-in high-definition camera as well, that is also available from mrmobile.net.au. The number's 02833388558. But if you want to read all about that and see the pictures of the Senna X1, and the Senna X1 Pro, you can check that out at techguide.com.au. Tech Guide. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Finnick. Now, who, listening to this podcast right now, who loves their coffee? I love my coffee, and I go to great lengths to get good coffee. And there are some people who spend, myself included, a fair bit of money. If you, if you add up how much money you spend per year on coffee... We're talking thousands of dollars, especially if you have a coffee a day, you know, four or five a week. They're four, you know, three fifty, four, four fifty dollars each. You do the math, and you're talking fifteen hundred, two thousand dollars per year that you spend on coffee. You got to head up to the coffee shop and the place where they make your favourite coffee, and you pay your money and you get your coffee. Well, Breville have, a, a, have just introduced a new machine that allows you to make that cafe quality coffee at home. It's called the Breville Oracle Touch. And this is a device that looks like a coffee machine. It's got uh, all the bells and whistles. It's got a grinder. Uh, it's got the porter filter. It's got the milk wand. Uh, but it's also got a touch screen. So you can actually determine your choice of up to five different coffees. So you can choose uh, whether you want an espresso, a long black, latte, flat white, or a cappuccino. Now, the Breville Oracle takes up a little bit of space. It's 41 centimetres wide, 38 centimetres deep, 45.5 centimetres high. So if you've got a bit of bent space, it's, it's not, it doesn't take a massive amount, probably obviously a little bit more than a toaster would. But uh, if you do have the bench space, it's certainly worth it if you do love your coffee. What I like about this is that it's called an automatic coffee machine, yet there are some processes that you help with. So one of the automated things, for example, is the grinding of the coffee, the tamping of the coffee inside the porter filter. So that's all done for you automatically because these little differences in the amount of coffee uh, and the pressure, the bar pressure, even one degree difference can change the entirely the flavor of the coffee. So you need to know the right dosing. So we're talking, I think, between 19 and 22 grams of coffee in the porter filter has to be tamped down, so flat and smooth inside the porter filter. Once once that's done, the user then uh, unclicks the porter filter, moves it to the middle of the machine, and then plugs it into uh, to, to the, the central part of the machine where the water at pressure and, and, and uh, the hot water comes through and creates the coffee. 
So that that's the only manual part of the whole thing, uh, one of the only manual parts of the whole thing. And then once you see the coffee being poured into the cup, it's got that beautiful crema and that beautiful colour and that beautiful smell as well. Now then when it comes to the milk, you move across to the, the milk station. So the, on the right-hand side of the machine, uh, you can then you can just simply you slip in the milk jug put the wand into the jug, and then choose on the screen the temperature of the milk. Now, the, the, the right temperature of milk in coffee is around 60 to 65 degrees. So it allows you to choose uh, the, the right temperature that you like. All these settings, by the way, can be saved to an individual user. So if there's a particular coffee style that you like, you can then simply create that as an option in the in the, on the touch screen. So you might name that after yourself. So every morning, rather than having to, to manually adjust all those settings each time, you just simply go to that pre-saved favorite brew of yours and it's done for you. And when you've done when you've done with the milk, that's the other manual part of it. All you got to do is put the milk in, wand in the milk, and then it'll heat up to the right temperature. But then you pour the milk in yourself. So that's another manual part. So there's people who they do love that barista aspect where they are getting the legit gr- brewing, uh, grinding of the coffee beans, and packing in the porter filter. They are putting the porter filter into the machine themselves, twisting it into place. They are pouring the milk at the end of the line as well. So there is some aspects of of the barista process that are still literally in your hands. But those other things like getting the milk to the right temperature, getting the coffee to the right uh, dose and, and tamped properly in the porter filter, that's looked after by the machine. But at the end of the day, the coffee out of this machine tastes phenomenal because it's dead. It, it, it is just like it was bought at a coffee shop. It has got all that the right taste. The milk too is really silky smooth as well. It's done just right. The Breville Oracle Touch. How much would you expect to pay after all that I've said? If if it can actually actually create coffee as good, if not better, than what you you pay for at a coffee shop. Well, the price is. $3,499. Cast your mind back, though, to what I said at the start of this segment. How much do you spend on coffee? If you're like me, I added up, I think I spent about $1,800 a year on coffee. So if I were to purchase the Oracle Touch, it would pay itself off in less than two years. I can make my own coffee at home and save the money rather than having to pay $350, $450, however much you're paying this can pay itself off in that time. And if you've got guests over, uh, it's a really impressive thing for you to produce this kind of quality coffee for your guests. They will be very, very impressed. Now, for that price, the $3,499, you are given one-on-one training. There's a bit of a white glove service that comes with this. So you get one-on-one in-home training. So you're taught how to use the machine to create excellent coffee on your own. Not cheap, but if the number of coffees you pay for per year is in the thousands, then it's definitely something to consider. If you want to read our story about the Breville Oracle Touch, check it out, techguide.com.au.
Our link next review is a, a pair of earphones. It's the I Am Buttons earphone review, and it's the I.M, which happens to be the end of Will I Am's name. He is a uh, the the owner of this business that's created. He's a stake, the major stakeholder in this uh, in this company. He's uh, obviously a well-known musician. He's uh, part of the Black Eyed Peas, but also a very well-known op- entrepreneur and tech lover. And uh, he has come up with the I Am Plus Buttons earphones. And they are rather unusual-looking earphones. They do have these these large discs. It's like a slightly smaller than a 20-cent piece hanging off the end of each earpiece so that what you see, what other, others see, uh, is this round, shiny disc uh, on the end of the earbud. And what that is, that's inspired, they say, by a vinyl record. So obviously being having a musical background, uh, that was part of the design that, that gave it a, a bit of a unique look. And uh, that, mag- that that disc is also magnetic. So if you are wearing them around your neck, you can simply take them out of your ears, touch the two discs together, they magnetically attach, and you can wear this around your neck uh, like an accessory. The the cord uh, that, that runs between the earpieces is actually uh, pretty high quality. It's woven fabric cord. Uh, looks like it's part of an outfit. So it would fit into whatever you happen to be wearing. It does come also, the earphones, in several different colors, black, white, rose gold, uh, and, and, and others like that. There are also plenty of silicon earpieces so you can fit the earpieces into your ears comfortably. That was the issue I had with these earpieces. It was very difficult to make them sit inside my ears securely. I think that added weight of those big discs on the outside of the earpiece kind of pulled them out of my ear. All I had to do was turn my head slightly or the, the cable would catch and the earpiece would fall out. So if you're thinking of using these for the gym or running, forget it. Because they, they it, for me anyway, they, it was very difficult for them to stay in place. On the audio quality side, they were they were these are two hundred and ninety dollar earphones. So you expect a fair bit of bang for your buck here. Now compared to other brands in that price bracket, these fell a little bit below what those other brands are offering in terms of audio quality. That's not to say the audio quality was poor. It was impressive, just not as good as other brands in that price bracket. So uh, that, to me, was a little bit of a disappointment at that price range. Now, the Buttons packaging is interesting as well. There are pictures of celebrities. There's Naomi Campbell and Kendall Jenner, who happen to be stakeholders in the business, uh, and they're on the packaging. So they're helping with the marketing of this as well. But I found a really interesting uh, on the front of the box, it says I am plus and then buttons, and then it describes them as Bluetooth earphones for the dope. Now, I know I've got enough street cred to work out that dope means it's good and it's cool, but I don't know whether Australian customers will take it the same way here and you know, here. I, I know US customers may think of it differently. Maybe that's a, a little code for the people who would be attracted to this brand. They understand what that means. But my first reaction was, who are you calling a dope? I'm not a dope. The Bluetooth earphones for the dope. Well, it's uh, for, for those who understand what that means, well and good. If they're not offended by it, then go ahead and, and try them out. But I think overall, they do try to, they do create a unique look. They are a unique accessory as well. So the style language that it's trying to create, I can, I get it. Uh, not for everyone. I think, to me, earphones are meant to be discreet. So if you if you want to wear headphones, that's one thing. But if you want to wear earphones, you kind of want to just sort of them to be sitting in your ears 
kind of out of the way, not made, not saying too much, but these actually make a bit of a statement thanks to those big discs on each of the earpieces. But if that's what you're into, uh, then go for it. These are priced at $290, available from JB Hi-Fi, Harvey Norman and Apple stores, as well as from, as well as from implus.com. But if you want to check it out, and if these are the earphones for the dope, if you're that dope or that good, uh, then you're more than welcome to try them out. And you're also more than welcome to read our full review at techguide.com.au. Keeping you updated and educated. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Finney. Tech Guide. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly sponsored by Norton, the company that helps keep you and your family safe online. Now, there's lots of valuable stuff stored on your computer. You think about it, family photos, videos, tax and work documents. How would you feel if all of a sudden they were gone, encrypted and impossible to retrieve? What I've just described is called ransomware. That's malware that locks you out of your own files, then demands that you pay up or lose access to them forever. The bad news is ransomware is actually on the rise in Australia. In fact, Australia is now the most targeted country for ransomware attacks in the Southern Hemisphere. Norton Security Premium is a powerful internet security solution that can help keep you safe from ransomware, including the recent WannaCry ransomware, by blocking dangerous files, warning you against dodgy links before you click, and backing up files from your PC to the cloud so you'll have a copy if anything goes awry. To learn more about how to protect your online life, visit au.norton.com. Now, answering all your tech questions, the Tech Guide Help Desk. Interesting question I received from a reader asking about apps and, in particular, app permissions. This particular user, and I can understand where they're coming from, was uh, had downloaded an app and then was continually asked for, we want access to your microphone, we want access to your camera roll, we want access to your contacts. And this person thought, oh, look, I was a little reluctant to grant all that access because I didn't know what the, what the app was going to do. And I, I replied, and, and I'll tell you what I said to, uh, to this reader right now. I said, well, these apps are, uh, sometimes give you the ability to share content. And often that content is already on your device. So that's why it asks you, can I access your picture gallery? Because if there's a picture in your picture gallery or that you want to share, I need access permission to access the picture gallery. Is there, If there's a microphone, if you're recording video or your voice or whatever, you do need access to the microphone. Same deal goes for the camera. There may be a function within the app. Uh, if you look at Facebook and Twitter and all these apps, Instagram, you can take a photo from within those apps. So to do that, the your device needs permission, you to grant the app permission to take to access the camera if and when it needs to. So my answer to the reader was, the app is not going to do anything that you don't want it to do. So don't think it's going to just suddenly share all your pictures and your contact details without you knowing it. The reason it's asking for that is because in the use of the app, there may be an occasion to share a photo, take a picture, record a video, record your voice, and share it uh, and with your contacts. So, And those contacts are in, in your contact list. So I, my answer was, it's not going to share anything that you don't allow it to do that's the reason why it asks for permission. And that's what the whole question was. It's asking for permission to do this. Well, 
that's doing the right thing. If it didn't ask you for, me, for permission to access that stuff, then you'd be worried. When it is asking for, for permission, it's doing the right thing. If you want to read about all that we've written about in so many apps that do ask for permission, including Snapchat and that SnapMap feature, plenty of apps that we've written about. You can check them all out at techguide.com.au. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the end of our show for this week. You can read about everything that we've talked about, of course, at techguide.com.au. And we'd love for you to get in touch with us. And if you want to do that, send us an email, info at techguide.com.au. We also want to give a special thanks to our sponsors, Netgear, the brand you can trust for all your Wi-Fi needs, and also Norton, the company that can help keep you and your family safe online. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week. So until then, stay safe and stay connected. (laughs) 